Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 102. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm talking about never being lost. Keep in mind you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use what you learn to be a better whatever you already are. Today's podcast episode is uh, inspired by the quotes of Ikkyu Sojun. Uh, Ikkyu Sojun was an eccentric Japanese Zen Buddhist and poet, uh, and he had a great impact on the infusion of Japanese art and literature with Zen attitudes and ideals. He lived roughly at the end of the 1300s to the early 1400s in Japan, And I recently came across some of his uh, poetry and his works, and there was a specific quote that I really enjoyed. Came to find out later it's a disputed quote, but it has led to other quotes and poems of his that I enjoy, and I wanted to share a few of those with you in today's podcast episode. So, um, quick housekeeping here. Uh, I I'm working with a new microphone. As many of you know, I moved to Mexico and I have a microphone that I brought with me. And in the last podcast episode, uh, I received a few emails with feedback uh, about the audio quality. So I'm hoping today's podcast episode sounds better. Uh, I'm learning the settings. I'm learning that there are ways to uh, tweak the audio to make it sound better once I record it. So bear with me as I iron all this out over the next few podcast episodes. Uh, So today's podcast episode, you know, I've been thinking about the format of the podcast and how to decide topics. Now, in uh, most schools of Buddhism, it's common to uh, listen to what are called Dharma talks. These are uh, little talks where you go and you listen to usually the the, the teacher or a a sensei or someone uh, shares a message. Like if if you go to a a Buddhist congregation, it's it's very likely that you would sit in meditation. There would be silent meditation, walking meditation. There may be some ritual aspect of it. And then there's usually a Dharma talk, and that's the moment where a concept or idea is shared. And that's essentially what I'm trying to do with this podcast. These These are like Dharma talks. And it will, it allows the format to be a little bit more loose. It's like just sharing a topic or an idea. It doesn't have to be very formal or structured. And that uh, makes it easier for me as I prepare podcast episodes each week, knowing that it doesn't have to be super structured. It doesn't have to be something that I've spent, uh, you know, writing a, a talk or writing a, a script to follow. So uh, with that in mind, during this past week, I've been thinking about these quotes by Ikkyu Sojun, and I wanted to share a few of them. Uh, one of them is, yesterday's clarity is today's stupidity. I like that one because it's an expression that reminds me that what made so much sense to me in the past, I can look at today and, and question that way of thinking and, and think, how did that ever make sense to me? But I think the another deeper, more important aspect of this is recognizing that today's clarity may be tomorrow's stupidity, uh, and it's it's just a reminder of the 
ever-changing nature of things. What made so much sense to me may not make sense in the future, and what made so much sense to me in the past may not make sense today. And I can see that, I'm sure you can see that in different facets or uh, aspects of your life. So this is a fun expression that we can kind of keep at the forefront in our mind as a, as a way of remembering that we don't have it all figured out. You know, the, the clarity that we think we have uh, one day may not seem so clear. And this kind of goes into, you know, the, the overarching uh, theme that seems to be uh, recurrent in Buddhist teachings is this concept of, of uncertainty and this concept of groundlessness, um, which I want to elaborate on with one of the other quotes. Uh, so the next quote I want to share, this is uh, also Ikkyu Sojun. He says, if it rains, let it rain. If the wind blows, let it blow. And I like that expression. I feel like it's easy for us to visualize ourselves out walking in the street and suddenly it starts to rain or suddenly the wind starts to blow. Now, most of us are going to use all of our energy and resources to be skillful in that moment. I either spend the time and effort to get a, uh, an umbrella out or to find shelter, to get under a roof, to walk into a door. Like We do the things that we know we need to do to be skillful with the situation at hand, which is now it's raining or now the wind is blowing. But we don't waste any energy or effort or time to try to stop the rain or to try to stop the wind, you know, to, to control the elements. We don't do that because we know that we can't. So all of our effort goes into uh, acting skillfully in that moment. And I feel like this expression from Ikkyu Sojun is a reminder to me when I hear it, I think, you know, if it rains, let it rain. If the wind blows, let it blow. If emotions arise, let them arise. If, uh, you know, I like to internalize this and apply it to uh, the things that arise in my day-to-day -day life. How much energy am I exerting when, when an emotion arises to try to fight that emotion or push it away rather than just uh, being skillful with it and thinking, okay, anger has arisen. Uh, let me, you know, let me go get under the roof or let me open this umbrella because I know that for the next little bit, this is the situation I'm confronting and I want to be skillful and, and that will ultimate, ultimately affect uh, how I speak, what I do during these moments when I'm experiencing these emotions. And I think that gets to the heart of what Buddhist practice is all about. It's being able to be skillful with what arises it's being able to be aware of what arises, and um, but it's not about changing what arises. And I think that gets lost in the Western approach. I, I see this over and over and over from the Western mindset. It's like, why are we doing all of this? Because we're, we're doing this so that we can change. It's like, I'm practicing uh, mindfulness so that when the rain comes, I can stop the rain or so that when the wind blows, I can make it blow a little bit less. And that's not at all how it works. In the same way that we can't control the elements, we can't control the wind, um, a lot of times what arises in us, in our the emotions we're experiencing, the point isn't to try to uh, domesticate our feelings and emotions. The point is to try to understand them. Now, 
I think it's fascinating that the more we understand ourselves and the more we understand why certain things arise or, or uh, you know, feel the way that they feel for us, then yeah, with time, that relationship we have with that emotion starts to change. So the end result may seem like uh, there's more peace, but that wasn't the goal. I think the goal is more uh, skillful understanding, a skillful uh, change in relationship with what arises. And I feel like that gets lost a lot in the practice, the way it's perceived in the West. And I encounter this over and over when somebody reaches out and they want to learn more about Buddhism or about mindfulness as a practice. And it's always approached with a, hey, how can I use mindfulness to be more peaceful in my house or things like that? You know, and it's like, well, I don't know that you'll be more peaceful in your house. It's not about being more peaceful. It's about understanding yourself more. And then the, the, the secondary result to understanding yourself more is that you may have more peace with yourself because you're more comfortable with these difficult emotions that you experience when they, they arise and you're more skillful with what you do when you're experiencing one of those emotions. But you're not changing the emotion. You're not preventing yourself from, from feeling anger or um, things like that. So hopefully that concept makes sense. To me, that whole way of thinking is embodied in that expression. If it rains, let it rain. If the wind blows, let it blow. So that's the second quote I wanted to share from Ikki Sojun. Now the third one, this is the one I mentioned before, that it's a disputed one. I shared the quote on uh, social media several weeks ago, but I like this expression. It says, having no destination, I am never lost. Now this whether he said it or not, I think it's a, a valid expression that's worth thinking about. Now, if you'll recall, this is a Zen uh, Buddhist who's who's sharing these concepts and these ideas. And in the Zen tradition, the, the concept of the koan is uh, worth mentioning here. Now, these are riddles, they're expressions or mental uh, puzzles that are meant to be troubling to understand. You know, if, if you hear this expression, having no destination, I am never lost, it may, some of you may hear that and think, wow, what a profound statement. Others may hear this and, and, and be thinking, what a dumb statement, or what an obvious statement, or what a useless statement. And all of those are fine. They're, they're all correct, because the exercise of the koan is to get you thinking and to... Um, you know, to really ponder on this. So this expression for me, having no destination, I'm never lost, uh, kind of points to, again, this concept of groundlessness. I'm not, if there's nothing to grasp, I have no firm foundation that is the base for, for my reality. Um, and I can't be lost, right? I have no destination. There's nowhere I need to be. There's only where I am. And I like, I, I like thinking that way. Um, I feel like in my own life, you know, I have no destination in the sense of I need to be here doing this for this reason, or um, I don't know, bigger picture, like uh, if the destination is you need to be a mindful Buddhist practitioner or something, that's a destination. If I have no destination, I can't be lost. It's not like I'm doing it wrong because there's, there's nothing that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just experiencing life trying to be present and understanding myself in the process so I can't be lost because I don't feel that there's anywhere that I need to be. And I think that's what uh, 
I enjoy about that expression. Now, I've been having some uh, mental uh, uh, pondering. I don't know. I don't know how to word it. I think a lot, and I like to think about ideas, especially ideas that seem uh, very natural to me because I was conditioned to think that way. And then I, I like to explore those things. So one of the ones that I grew up with, and, and perhaps many of you have too as, as Westerners in general, we have this the, the Judeo-Christian idea of, of heaven and hell. And uh, I, so I was thinking about this the other day and talking to my wife about it uh, because you know we have conversations from time to time about a lot of these concepts because this is this is a realm that she is in as a as a Christian believer um, and and a believer in concepts like heaven and hell. So anyway, we're talking about uh, this concept, and I said, you know, to me, there's a conundrum when we talk about heaven and hell, at least the way that. Uh, I understand, um, or I was taught that heaven and hell exist as this, there's this good place and then there's this bad place, right? You want to go to the good place and avoid the bad place. But I thought, here's what's interesting. I've always been taught that the good people go to the good place and bad people go to the bad place. Well, what are good people? Well, good people are kind and compassionate and, and, uh, Christ-like. And, and then I had this interesting thought of, well, here's the conundrum wouldn't the good people want to go to the bad place? Because if the people who are suffering are going to be in the bad place, then what good person who's genuinely good in their heart would want to turn the gaze and not, you know, like to turn their, uh, turn their head and not want to see and be with the people who need kindness and compassion the most, the people who are in the bad place. And then I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting philosophical conundrum, right? Like, what if the final, what if the ultimate test to make it to the good place is it cannot, you can't want to be there? <laughs> um, and I've thought about this with just expressions. It's been brought up to me at times uh, in, in family or friend circles uh, by people who will be like, hey, don't you, you know, don't you fear? Uh, deviating from the right path, don't you fear the risk of um, not making it to heaven? And and I've thought about that, and I thought, no, I, I I don't fear that. I mean, it, telling me that is like me telling you, hey, aren't aren't you losing sleep over the fact that you may not make it to Valhalla? You'd be like, well, no, I'm not worried about Valhalla because I Norse mythology is not the worldview that you know, that I, I, I go by <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel. Um, but again, then, then there's this thought of, well, if there really is an afterlife and there are people who are going to be suffering in this place of suffering, isn't that where I would want to go? If I feel uh, compassion for them and kindness for them, I would certainly want to be there if someone I knew was there. Uh, not, you know, especially if it was like a family member or a child of mine, if that's where they're going, well, then I, there's no way I would want to be anywhere else but where they are. And that's really kind of uh, put that conundrum in the, in the uh, thought experiment of, well, where should you want to go? Maybe wanting to go to the good place is what disqualifies you from going there. Um, anyway, that's kind of a, a side tangent of a thought that I had. 
all based on this concept of having no destination. I'm never lost. I don't need to go to a good place or to a bad place. I'll just go to wherever I am. Um, anyway, fun, fun little thought experiment. Uh, the uh, thought that I had, so I, I've been listening to these quotes and I, I like thinking about uh, concepts, right? I, I mentioned that before. So I started thinking, well, if I had an expression like um, Ikkyu Sojun, what would my poetic expression be of, of reality for me? And one of the ones that I, I thought about piggybacking off of, off of the format of his expression, if it is indeed his, I thought, I kind of like this concept. Having no certainty, I am never wrong. And that's one that I've been playing with all week. You know, what does that mean? Well, if I don't have a place of certainty, if I'm trying to experience this form of groundlessness, what do I have to defend? I don't have a view to defend. I don't have a, a view to fight against. Uh, and it's, it makes it interesting because it's like, well, then I can't be right, but I also can't be wrong. And I like, I like that thought. I think we live in a day and in an age where things are becoming uh, very polarized, whether it's political ideologies or religious ideologies or opinions or whether the earth is round or flat or it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if you're a dog or a cat person, like everything has to be a fight and who, who's right and who's wrong. And I like this way of thinking that if I have no certainty, I am never wrong. And if I perceive, if I view others as not having certainty, maybe they, they have the illusion of certainty in their argument, but they actually have no certainty, then I don't view them as right and wrong. I, I only view their view for what it is. And, and that's a fun way of practicing. This is something that I've been trying to practice in my, in my own mindfulness practice. Um, and I detect it, a really good place to, to detect this and to practice this is on Facebook, right? Uh, or any social media. But I think Facebook specifically is one of those places where if somebody posts something that we don't agree with, why do we feel the strong need to go on there and make sure that they know that we don't agree with it? And why, why do we do that? I think we, a lot of us have that tendency. I know that I do. Um, I typically don't go on and engage with anyone about anything like that that's controversial just because um, what's the point? But the, you know, the, the tendency may arise and it's like, oh man, here's what I would type. And I may think about it without ever doing it. And that's become an area where I can practice. Now, with this kind of practice, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we need to just uh, tolerate or accept whatever is said or whatever belief or opinion someone has. You know, certainly there may be things that we want to stand firm and say, well, let, you know, I don't like this way of thinking or let me express. Uh, I'm not saying we need to change that. All I'm saying is that the practice in, in all of this is gaining more understanding about ourselves. For example, if, uh, if I'm browsing something on Facebook and I see a post and it really makes certain feelings arise like, anger or frustration or discontent my practice isn't to to stop those feelings it's not like oh i should tolerate that no that's not the practice the practice is wow why does this feel like such a strong emotion why am i uh why does this emotion arise in me 
based on what this person posted or, or, or said. And again, the point isn't about the person or the expression. For me, the point is, oh, I, it's because this or that. I, I learned something about myself. To me, that's the practice. And the more I do it, the, the better I get at understanding myself. Um, and I think sometimes we confuse the practice, like I mentioned before, with thinking, well, if I, if I practice this kind of stuff, I'll be more, uh, I'll be better at not feeling angry when so-and-so posts their political stuff. That's not the thing. That's not the practice. Like you can't fake that, right? Like you can be, you can pretend, oh, I'm not going to let that bother me. But if it bothers you, why pretend that it's not bothering you? Sure, I don't have to say anything or engage, but it, it's the feeling. Well, where did that feeling come from? Why is that feeling so strong? Why does that bother me and this other topic doesn't bother me? Those are questions that I can look at and explore and gain insight about myself. And that allows me ultimately to have a more skillful relationship with the experiences that I'm having as they unfold. But that's the extent of it. The, Again, the practice isn't so that um, you can change yourself or you can change someone else, especially someone else. Don't, don't try to go down that route. Um, the, the whole practice is now I understand myself better. And just like with the example of if it rains, let it rain. Well, now I'm not afraid of the rain because I know that I can do the skillful things that I need to when it starts to rain. I can go get under the roof. I can pull out an umbrella. When the political season comes, I can spend less time on Facebook. Like I can be more skillful with these things as they unfold because I know myself. I, I know, does that make, I hope that makes sense. So I like thinking about this in the context of that way of practicing, but understanding that the practice is about awareness and about understanding, not about changing things. The changing things part is inevitable, whether we like it or not. But the more we understand ourselves, the more likely it is that the change that's going to be happening is a useful, skillful change that benefits you and it benefits everyone around you because you're not so caught up in the, um, the reactivity of your own emotions. You can be skillful with, with discussions that you have around sensitive topics. And, and that's a really powerful thing, especially in dynamics where um, you know, with parents or with loved ones, or you know, I feel like we've gotten really bad at this in our society. We, we tend to want to surround ourselves with people who think the way that we think. And if you don't think the, the way that I think, it's almost like there's this sense of indignation. I, I can't be your friend. I'm going to unfriend you, or I'm going to uh, stop seeing your posts or, you know, and, and then that makes it worse because now we become so sensitive that we can't be around anyone who doesn't think the way that we think. And, and that is not the solution. Uh, communication, skillful communication, is probably the most powerful tool that we can try to develop if we want to make things better. And I feel fortunate that I'm in a position where I get to practice that a lot. My wife and I have, um, we have differing political views, differing ide ideological views, a lot of differing cultural views. Um, we were, <laughs> we represent two ends of the spectrum on a lot of big topics, a lot of sensitive topics. And it's allowed me uh, to understand myself and it's allowed me to be more effective in how I communicate what is meaningful and what matters to me, to her, without stepping on toes or, or offending or 
and vice versa. Uh, that to me is the heart of the practice to be able to talk to someone that you don't see eye to eye with that, that takes uh, that takes a lot. And I feel like we've gotten bad at that. And some of these quotes uh, remind me that I want to be better at that. And I hope that that's an aspect of the practice that all of you would want to work with as well. And again, the point here isn't to say, oh, I'll reach the point where I can finally tolerate, you know, uncle so-and-so who always brings up this crazy political topic. That's, it's not that. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where you have to fake that you're totally fine with something that you're not fine with or that you're comfortable with something that you're not comfortable. You can have your healthy boundaries and whatever you need to do, all the while knowing that the point of the practice is for you to understand yourself, to have a more skillful relationship with the emotions and the feelings that arise when they do, so that you can be skillful with a situation that arises. That's, that's it. That's the heart of the practice. So that's what I wanted to get at. Um, as far as the podcast episode and, and some of these topics. So if you like uh, some of these quotes, uh, you can look up Ikkyu Sojun. There's really not much more out there. He doesn't really have any books that stood out to me that I would recommend like I do in some podcast episodes where I'll say, check out this book or that. I don't really have that. These are just a few of the random quotes that made sense to me. And to be honest, there were several other ones that you're like, what was this guy smoking? <laughs> um, and I think that's common uh, uh, with eccentric people. So uh, those are the quotes that I wanted to share. Uh, and I like the, the one that I've been playing with is, for me, again, this isn't his quote. This is just something I kind of came up with piggybacking off of his way of thinking is having no certainty, I am never wrong. And I try to remember that when I'm in a conversation with someone about a sensitive topic or subject. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, what do I know? I have no certainty in this matter. And then I'm disarmed because I have nothing to defend. I don't have a view that's like, well, this is the right view. Let me defend this. It's like, I don't, I don't have a view. I have a lot of uh, ideas that make sense to me. But just because it makes sense to me doesn't mean that it's right. And it doesn't make sense that uh, someone else's view is wrong just because it makes zero sense to me. Um, and that's important for me to remember. I can't be wrong if I don't have the certainty and I'm not interested in the certainty. I'm not looking for it. I don't want it. I, I don't believe it's attainable. And I enjoy being comfortable with the uncertainty. And that really makes uh, a lot of touchy subjects more uh, pleasant to skirt around and talk about and work with because I don't, I don't have a certain position in it um, to, to some degree. I mean, I, again, I'm not saying be wishy-washy and don't have a... a a view to defend or I'm not saying that I'm, I'm talking about the big big existential stuff uh, on the smaller scale of things of course I have opinions of course I have political views that I, I like to defend and I that I like to um, present as why I think this is the most skillful path or the most skillful approach um, and, and do so in a way that is um, compatible with talking about talking about it with someone who doesn't hold that view i get a lot of practice in that but anyway that's that's what i wanted to share um, as always if you want to learn more about these concepts and ideas you can always um, check out the the books that i've written secular buddhism no-nonsense buddhism for beginners the five minute mindfulness journal and i have a new idea i've been working on i'll present more about that probably in the coming months uh, for a book that i'm working on 
Uh, As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, feel free to share it with others, write a review, give it a rating in iTunes. And if you want to make a donation to support the work I'm doing with the podcast, uh, visit secularbuddhism.com, click the donate button, and that's all I have for now. But I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Thank you for listening. Until next time.